Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be reading one verse, verse 18. Last week we looked at Romans 8, an overview, and, uh, but we want to concentrate on a verse this morning, and that's Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this wonderful passage, Lord, that points our attention to what shall be. And we thank you, Lord, that there's glory coming and there's so much to look forward to. And surely as the message is entitled today, better things are coming. And we thank you for that. Give enablement to bring the message, encourage our hearts as Christians, and for any who do not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today will be the day that they come to faith in Him. And I know, Lord, that you can work in hearts, and I pray that you will accomplish your will in each one of us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The world today can be the cause of great disappointment, discouragement, despair, disdain, and even defeat. Our society is so messed up that it makes you wonder if there's any hope for America. Many of our political leaders, business leaders, religious leaders, and fellow citizens are approving everything that is wrong and disapproving all that is right. There is such a divide in the way people think today in our country it sounds like Proverbs chapter 29, verse 27. A week or so ago, as I was reading through my Bible, I came across this verse, and I thought it was so described today, and it says, An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. It reminds me when Roe versus Wade was over, overturned, there were some of the, in, in the political realm who called that very decision abomination. That sounds like this verse. God said in Isaiah chapter 5 some important truth. If you want to turn there, it's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And it says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteous, righteousness of the righteous from him. And the Lord says, Woe unto people who do that, who think that way, who call evil good and good evil. If our country continues down the road of, ca of calling evil good and good evil, we will face the soon the judgment of God. Because when God says woe, he means just that. And when God says woe, that means there is judgment coming. When evil increases, the persecution of Christians also increase. But we do not have to despair because we know something, and we just read it this morning. I reckon... That is, I count it to be true, something that I know I've heard from the Lord. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul wrote this passage, and Paul is the right one to write something like this because Paul knew something about suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, tells us about that. In verse 23, Paul was talking about himself, and he said this, And they ministers, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. often. He's talking about his experiences. He says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. They were allowed to do 40 and keep from going over it. They gave 39, so he said that happened to him five times. Then he says, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the, in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own country, in perils by the, by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside all those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul knew what he's talking about when he talked about sufferings. And he said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, in Paul's estimation, as he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, 6, verse 17, he said, Our light affliction, we read that and say, What? Paul, after all that you said you went through, you call it light? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I mean, Jesus told him when he got saved that he was going to suffer all of his life, and he did. And he calls it but for a moment. He calls it light and but for a moment. How could he do that? Because he knew what he's talking about, about the future. And the future coming, which is in eternity, is this little time down here is nothing compared to eternity. And so he says our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Because he looked ahead for the glory that was coming. What we're going to talk about this morning. The glory that was coming. Better things that were coming uh, to Paul. Now, Paul believed that better things were coming. He said the glory which shall be. That's future tense. It shall be. It's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Uh, He said it's not worthy to be compared A Greek scholar by the name of Weiss that many Bible scholars use said this, worthy to be compared means of no worth in comparison to. I mean, it's not even worth considering when you think how great it's going to be in the future. And also, when he says, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And the words in us can be translated uh, toward us or to usward. In other words, all the glory that we're going to experience, not just in us, but all the glory we're going to see, all the things that are going to be in the future for us, all the glory that's awaiting us is so great that the little problems we go through down on this earth, I mean, I say little because Paul called them little, but for a moment, uh, our light affliction, he called it, and with all the Paul experience, if he can call it little, I guess we can call our experiences little as well. He says nothing to be compared. The word glory, when referred to God, means the splendor and perfection of his person. 
When the glory referred to us that we're going to experience, it means the state of blessedness in which believers will, will enter when we get to, get to be with the Lord. It's a glorious thing. It it's, has splendor in it. And just like the Lord in all his splendor and perfection, when we experience what God has prepared for us, it's going to be so great and so glorious. And so we're going to talk this morning about the glory that's going to be in the future for us. The better things that are coming. What are some of the better things that are coming? I have several I want to mention this morning. The first one is this. The glory of God's purpose for our lives. The glory of God's purpose for our lives. Someday we will understand. We don't right now. Many things we go through we don't understand. Many things that hurt us, we don't understand why that happened to us. But God has a purpose. And God says in Romans 8, 28, this same passage, he said, We know that all things work together for good to them that are in Christ Jesus, uh, to those who are called according to his purpose. He says, all things work together for good. So all the bad things, all the good things, all the things that happen to us, it's going to turn out for good. We just have to wait on the Lord. And the Lord says that's going to be glorious when we find out all about it. Isn't it going to be something when we get to heaven and we've had this question in our mind, Lord, why did you or why did this happen? And the Lord reveals it to us in heaven. And we think, wow, that's great. God knew what he was doing, and some of you need to know that today because you've gone through things that you don't understand, and you need to know that it's going to be glorious when we find out what God was doing, and God is, is doing something that's good. He says in Romans eight thirty one, if God before us, and I've said often, the Christian never has God working against them. God always is for us, and whatever we go through, it's for us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us an eternal weight of glory. It's for us, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. All the things we go through, they're for us, and someday we're going to find out what that's going to be. It's going to be wondrous when we see Jesus. Well, let's ask the question, what would God's purpose then be in our lives? I mean, if you could sum it up, what's God's purpose for the things that happen in your life. I know there are various things we could say about it, and we'll find out several things when we get to heaven. But one purpose that we can say is really as the center of it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You might be there already, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We just quoted verse 17. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The context would say this treasure in earthen vessel is the gospel's is the gospel. We have the gospel. We have it in earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels. And God has given the gospel to us. He didn't give it to angels. He gave it to us uh, to take to the world. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So God will get the credit. Do we deserve to have this precious truth, the gospel, and spread it to others? No. Do we deserve to be the ones that take the gospel to other people? No. We're just sinners saved by grace. We don't deserve it, but the reason the Lord does that is so that he will get the blessing or he will get the glory. And it says, so that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. Then he says this, we are troubled on every side. Have you ever felt that way? But not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. It's not wrong for a Christian to be troubled. It's not wrong for a Christian to be perplexed. 
He says this, uh, we, are, we are persecuted but not forsaken. We're cast down but not destroyed. And we can go through experiences where we feel persecuted. We can feel like we're just about to give up. We've been cast down. We don't understand, but it doesn't destroy our faith. We still believe God regardless. And then he says this in verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And here is God's purpose, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. What was God's purpose for all these things? What's God's purpose for our sufferings? When we get to heaven, we'll be able to find out how that all fits together. But one thing that's true of all of it is that God wanted the life of Jesus to be seen in us. You see, when we go through troubles, God is working in us so that we will look more like him. And God's design is not to send us through trouble so we'll get bitter. God's design is to send us through trouble so we'll get better. So we'll be more like Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be seen in us. Notice it repeats it as well. Uh, verse, verse 10, he says that, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. God wants us to look like him when we go through trials. To respond like he would respond. To respond with love or to respond with kindness, to respond with patience, to be like Jesus. Some of the sweetest people I've ever met are people who've gone through many trials, many trials in their life. I think of some widow ladies in West Virginia that, that I knew there very well, and uh, I would visit them, and, and uh, they'd gone through so many hardships in their life. And yet they'd, they'd greet you with a smile on their face and they'd talk about Jesus and they'd make, mention some of their problems, but they, but they had a sweet spirit. But you know, I've met other people who've gone through a lot of trials and they're bitter. They're bitter against God. They're bitter against other people because they don't respond correctly to their trials. When God sends us to a trial, he wants the life of Jesus to be seen in us. And trials should make us better, not bitter. And so God wants that in our life you see it's going to be glory when we get to heaven when we see jesus my wife remembers this lady i called her last night i was here at the study and i called her and i said honey uh tell me the details about jewel and this note that she had on her mirror was it a note was it a a, a plaque was it written on her mirror with soap or was how what was it she said no it was written on her mirror with lipstick now, you might wonder what I'm talking about. Some of you have been here long enough. You've heard me give this illustration. But this lady's name was Jewel Strother. She was a dear lady. She was a member of the church we were a member of when I was in seminary in, in Indiana. And she sort of took it as a project of hers to encourage the seminary men and their families. And she quite often would have them over to her house. She was a widow lady. Nothing real special about Jewel except her spirit. She had a wonderful spirit. And she was all wrinkled. And she had been through a lot of hardship in her life. And, uh, but Jewel Strother was a blessing to us. And she had us over for dinner one day. And uh, I dismissed myself to go into, into the bathroom. And I went into the bathroom and looked in the mirror. And on the mirror she had written in lipstick. Red lipstick on the mirror. Thank the Lord anyhow. <laughs> And if you knew Jewel, she was all wrinkled, you know. I never knew Jewel when she was young. 
And I imagine she was a beautiful lady, but when I see her again, she'll be young. And she, but she was able to respond to the trials, and she said, thank the Lord anyhow. And that's the way we need to be. We're going through troubles. Lord, thank you anyhow. You know what you're doing, and I trust you. Because it's going to be glorious when we get to heaven, we find out why God did that. Why did God take my loved one when he did? What, what was the whole reason for that? How did that fit? And then we find out when we get to heaven that somebody got saved and they're in glory because of that. Somebody got saved because of this tragedy that happened in this life. We don't know all the details, but God does. And it's going to be glorious when we get to heaven and find that out. That's one thing that's the glory, that the better things that are, that's awaiting us. Another one is the glory of going to heaven and seeing Jesus. I had Joshua sing that song this morning on purpose. You know, we, when we get to heaven, we'll see Jesus. And uh, we'll, we'll know him by the prints of, of the nails in his hands. I believe we'll know him before that. But that song says a good thing. When we see Jesus, he'll be glorious. And, uh, I mean, there'll be no question that he stands out among all those in heaven. That's Jesus in all of his glory. But he'll have the print of the nails in his hands. And won't, be won't it be glorious when we get to heaven and see Jesus? You know, I've talked about Jesus. I've, I've been a preacher now for 55 years, ever since I was saved. In fact, I preached some before I was saved, but I, that don't, I don't count that. But ever since I've been saved, I've been preaching. I've pastored for almost 47 years, and I've preached a whole lot about Jesus. I've talked about Jesus. I've prayed to Jesus so many times. I've, I've talked to him, and all, these, all this we know about Jesus, but I have never seen him. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, whom, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, the, in whom though now ye see him not, yet rejoicing you rejoice with, yet, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't it going to be wonderful when we see Jesus? Can you just imagine that? I, you know, we have someone that's uh, died before us and, and they've gone on to heaven. We say, I can't wait to see them. But you know, when we get to heaven, I believe the first one we'll look for, for is not that wife that passed or that husband or pastor, mom or dad that passed. The first one we'll look for is Jesus. The songwriter wrote a song one time. It's in our hymnals. And it's, it's uh, face to face. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Only faintly now I see him with the darkening veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in his presence when, when, when our banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face I shall behold him, far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. We'll see Jesus. Won't that be glorious? I mean, just all the troubles we've had, all the trials we've gone through, it won't seem like anything when we see Jesus because we'll know we're looking at the only reason we're in heaven. The only reason we make it to heaven is Jesus. You won't get there because you're good. You won't get there because you're better than somebody else. You won't get there because you're religious. You won't get there because you're a teacher or a preacher or any of those things. You'll get there for one reason, and that is Jesus died for your filthy sins on the cross of Calvary, and he paid for those. 
And he's the only reason you're in heaven. You look out all around you and see all the splendor of heaven and realize he is the reason. And I'll tell you, it'll be glorious when we see him. Glory that awaits us when we see Jesus. But then there's another better thing that's coming, a glorious thing. And that's the glory of the redemption of our body. Romans 8, 20, 23 says, We groan waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I believe that means when God actually, you know, he has died for us, he's paid the price for us, but he hasn't changed our body yet. He's changed our character. He lives inside. He's given us a new nature in Christ, but we still have the same old body. But one day we're going to have a brand new body like his, and he calls it the redemption of our body. Verse 31 of, of Romans 8 calls it, uh, it's, it's in this term glorified. We shall be glorified. Uh, first, or rather Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14, re the redemption of the purchased possession. We are the purchased possession, but our bodies haven't been redeemed yet. Our bodies haven't been changed yet, but that's coming. Ephesians 4.30 says, we're sealed unto the day of redemption. That's talking about our body, I believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read about that. I want you to turn there with me. Because 1 Corinthians 15 gives a, a, a wonderful description of what our body will be like. We re begin reading in verse 35. But some man will say... How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? I mean, what kind of body are you going to have when, you, when your body is changed? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. That thou, that, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but, but bear grain. It, shall, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So you put a seed in the, in the ground, and that seed dies, and then it sprouts anew, and it produces a plant, and from that plant comes the seed, and says, God gives it a body as it pleased him. And then verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. These are terrestrial bodies. But we're going to have a body that's celestial. You see, one reason God has to change our body is because this body is not fit to live in heaven. But he's going to give us a body that will be fit to live in heaven, a celestial body. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. One star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. So the body breaks down. That's corruption. Our bodies break down. And uh, they become weak. It says it's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Those of you who've lost loved ones, you know what that's like. You saw your loved one that was vibrant and everything, and sickness came and struck them down. And I think of Brother Howard, and I never knew Howard when he was young, but Georgia surely did. And when she sees Howard again, he'll be young and vibrant, and so will she. And, uh, but when Howard died, his body was broken down, wasn't it, Georgia? And it wasn't like he used to be. Think of Brother Ed. Brother Ed was a strong guy. I went there to the hospital. And I was there when he passed away. And uh, he was weak. His body was broken down. 
and it was no power in that body. But someday we'll see him, and my, that smile and that vibrance and, and a brand new body, I mean, it's going to be wonderful. Then the Lord says, and I think of some of the rest of you who've lost loved ones, and I can't mention everyone, but you know who you are. And I know Ruth has lost her husband, and others have lost theirs, the people dear to them. I think of my dad and my mom, and I can remember when they were vibrant and they were young, but the day, when, when death came, they were broken down. Mom lived to be 90 years old, but she was broken down, and she finally passed. And what's most vivid in my mind is when my dad passed. And my dad was just 60 years old. I never, he hardly ever went to the doctor. He was hardly ever sick. But then he got cancer and it took him quickly. Found out in October he was gone in December. And it was quick, quick. But I remember when dad took that last breath, and I've described this before, but I worked as an orderly in the hospital in Xenia when I was in college. And um, I got accustomed to hearing to, to people dying and, and hearing the signs, and we called it the death rattle. And you know what that is. And I heard that in my dad, and he took his last breath. I, I, was, I thought, oh my, he's going. And my uncle was there, Uncle, uncle Roy, my preacher uncle. And um, I reached for dad because it was, and he reached over, put his arm on my arm, and he said, Earl, let him go. That was hard. But you know, dad's body was broken down. That's the way we go many times. But it won't be that way when we see that loved one again. They'll be vibrant and young. And the glory of having that glorified body. Some of you today, your bodies are breaking down. And uh, some of you have false teeth. You know, you have glasses. You've had surgery on your eyes. It helped, and then they deteriorated again. <laughs> you know, just all, all the time something. And, uh, you know, our hair is turning gray, and uh, things ache when they, where they didn't used to ache. And there's just so many problems when you're getting older, and this body is breaking down. But the new body will, what, will be what? The new body will be glorious. It'll be incorruptible. It never breaks down. It'll be glorious, a glorious body, a powerful body, a spiritual body, an immortal body. That means it'll never die, and it's a body of victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Victorious. And just to think that someday the Lord's going to give us brand new bodies. Won't that be glorious? I mean, can you imagine the Lord changing your body and you standing by before the Lord and say, Lord, why did you do that back in my life? You won't do that. I mean, you won't complain to the Lord. God will make everything clear, and you'll be so happy, and the glory of having that new redeemed body. It's going to be a wonderful thing. But then there's another glory. That's the glory of reward at the judgment seat. We read about rewards in various places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a great passage on that. And 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that we're going to stand before the Lord, and we are going to give an account, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For, us, for other foundation can no man lay, that is lay, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon that foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. I believe that fire is the eye, are the eyes of the Lord. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So we're going to face a judgment, and we're going to have rewards. Now, I've often said that, you know, we might just, some Christians there might lose all their rewards. And yet there's a verse in chapter 4 that says maybe all of us will have some. I want you to look at that verse with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the, the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. Every Christian is going to have praise of God. I believe that means if you're truly a born-again child of God, there's going to be some change. There's going to be some difference. And you might lose rewards that you could have had, but maybe there'll be something that you'll have because it says every man will have praise of God. And that's going to be a glorious thing. Whatever you receive from the Lord is going to be glorious. I mean, you're in heaven because of him. You had nothing to do with it except believing what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. You trusted him, but you're in heaven because of Jesus. And then he gives you a reward. Now, what's the thing you do with that reward? Do you walk around heaven bragging about it and say, look what I got from Jesus? According to, according to Revelation chapter 8, it says that, uh, or Revelation chapter 4, I'm sorry, it says the elders, the 24 elders, and those elders, many think they, believe, they represent the church, uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think that's probably true. And what do they do? They have crowns on their head. And what do they do with those crowns? They take those crowns and place them at the feet of Jesus. It's like saying when that time comes, when the Lord gives us that crown, and we stand there and we're glad for that, but it just seems like we're thinking, Lord, I would not have been able to do anything to earn this crown if it hadn't been for you. You deserve all the glory. And in worship to the Lord, we take the crown that he gave us and place it at his feet. Isn't that going to be a glorious time? Isn't it going to be glorious when you're able to place that, a crown at the feet of Jesus and say, thank you, Lord. Glory awaits us, and that's one of the glories that's coming. Another thing, a better thing that's coming, a glory that's coming, is the glory of the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, we mentioned this last week, but I want to elaborate on a little bit more this, this week. In Romans chapter 8, he says that we're going to be manifested as the sons of God. Now, Manifest as the sons of God, the context there is that it's in connection with when the creation will be delivered from the curse and it'll be at liberty. So the creation groans and waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, when does the creation, when is the curse lifted from creation? Well, the Bible tells us that's when Jesus sets up his kingdom on this earth. And what happens right before that? Revelation 19, we find Jesus coming from heaven, and coming with him are the armies sitting on white horses, and that's us. We've been with the Lord in heaven, and we're coming with him. Now, during our life, maybe people made fun of us as Christians. Maybe they, we live in a society like we do today that, that makes fun of Christians and that makes fun of what the Bible says. And they don't consider us, they almost consider us uh, uh, not necessary and really a bother to everybody. It would be better if we weren't here and we're not considered 
as sons of God are very special. But the Lord says the day will come. He will manifest the sons of God. And it seems to be in connection with that, the lifting of that, of that curse. Well, what happens is Jesus comes from heaven and we come with him. And everybody on this earth, uh, many of those on this earth, most of those on this earth are rebels against God. And they see the Lord coming and God destroys them. But I believe that before he destroys them, they'll be able to view all this host, all these people that we thought were nobody, that we thought were nothing, that they were a bother to us. All these people are with Jesus. And we're manifested as the sons of God. And then the Lord destroys all that are on the earth except believers. And then they go into the millennial reign. The Lord lifts the curse. And the millennial reign of Christ for 1,000 years is a wonderful time. But it's going to be glorious. We're coming on that white horse. And we're victors. And we're coming to the world that, would, that rejected Jesus and hate Jesus and are ready to fight against Jesus. And we come and we're manifested for who we are, the sons of God. What a glorious time. And then there's another glorious time. Following that is, I believe, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, Revelation chapter 19 says, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, verse 9. Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there are going to be people who called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The previous verse, verse 7, two verses before that, says, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. I think what happens is that, that uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord clears everything up, and he rewards us and everything, and now we're ready for the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Lord says there's going to be invited guests. Now, there's differences of opinion about where that marriage supper is going to take place. Some people believe it's going to take place in heaven. And some people believe it's going to take place on earth. You can argue either way. It's not that important. But I believe it will probably take place on earth. Because the Lord, he says, the, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wife has made herself ready. And the next scene we see is Jesus coming from heaven with all of us with him, and then he sets up his kingdom, and it seems like to me that maybe those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are all the Old Testament saints and all those people, but we as the church are the bride. We're the bride of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it might be that that takes place on this, on this, at the beginning of that millennial reign of Christ. I don't know whether it's in heaven or on the earth, it doesn't matter really because I'm going to be there. That's all that matters. But can you imagine the glory? I mean, can you even imagine that you at the marriage supper of the Lamb and you find that Jesus is sitting right down there and you say, Hey, Jesus, something I've been wanting to ask you. Why did you... <laughs> you won't do that. You won't do that. It's so glorious. What's happening is so glorious. It's not worthy to be compared. All those bad things are not worthy to be compared with this glory that shall be revealed in us or toward us that we will see, that we'll be recipients of. It's a wonderful thing, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then there's a couple more glorious things that await us. And that is when the Lord sets up his kingdom, guess what we're going to do? We're going to rule and reign with him. Now, how long does that kingdom last? A thousand years. Our country is only, what, 246, something like that, years old. 
But this is a thousand years that Jesus is going to reign on this earth. And he's going to reign over mortal people. They come into the kingdom uh, into the kingdom because they survived that when the Lord destroyed all of his enemies, they were true believers. They were in mortal bodies. They're true believers, and they populate the kingdom. They have children and all of that for a thousand years, and the Lord rules. But he has helpers during that rule, and those helpers are us. In our glorified bodies, we are going to be helpers for the Lord. The Bible says it like this in several places. It's not just one place, even though that would be enough. But it says this in 2 Timothy 2.12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? The context there is that Christians are going to, going to law and going to court against each other. You know, a brother in Christ sued this brother in Christ. And that shouldn't be. He says, don't do those things. Don't go to an ungodly court and and get your and you know fight over your different opinions and sue each other. Don't do that. He said, Don't you know that you will judge the world? What what, Lord? You're gonna judge the world. In other words, this is real, folks. We are gonna be uh, we are gonna rule with Jesus. We're gonna reign with him. We're gonna be his helpers in that reign. Over all the people upon this earth, we're gonna have a a part in that reign. Revelation 2 verse 26 says, And he that overcometh, and according to 1 John, the one who overcomes is the one who believes on Jesus. So if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're an overcomer. And he says, He that overcometh, to him will I give power over the nations. Power over the nations. We're going to have an important role in that millennial reign of Christ. That's part of the glory that's waiting us. That's part of the glory that's coming for us. Revelation 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That means we'll share the authority with the Lord. Under his authority, we will rule and reign. We'll reign with him. We'll have responsible things to do. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. And we'll be closing there in, that, in, this, in this section of Revelation. But look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. I mean, verse 4. And it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for, this, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Now, this is people during the tribulation who have their heads cut off because they're Christians. That's really going to happen during the tribulation period. But will it be worth it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, it'll be worth it because the Lord says the souls of them are beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark of his mark on their foreheads for, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. <laughs> They're victors. <laughs> they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, let's look back at chapter 5 of Revelation. Now, that's the saints during the tribulation but we are also going to be doing that because revelation 5 verse 8 says and when he had taken the book the four beasts and four and twenty elders that represents the church fell down before the lamb everyone having every one of their harps and their golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of saints and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That's us. And hast made us unto our God kings 
and priest, and we shall reign on the earth. Imagine yourself a person in great authority on this earth for a thousand years as we help the Lord rule over all the people that are going to populate the earth during that millennial reign of Christ. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such a second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Daniel chapter 7, verse 22 says, Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. We are given that, that, that privilege of being judges or those in authority. What glory it's going to be to reign with Christ. You see, sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what's coming. And then there's one final thing. And we find it in Revelation 21. And that's the glory of the eternal state. You see, after the Lord has a thousand-year reign of Christ, the Bible says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heavens fled away, and there was found no place. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and they were judged out of those things written in the books. Great white throne judgment. And when that takes place, the Lord says the heavens and the earth are going to flee away. There's found no place for them. In other words, God's going to destroy this present earth and heaven. And then he says he's going to make a brand new one. Revelation chapter 21. Look in your Bibles. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God was with men, is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be with his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Wow. After all the millennial reign of Christ, the Lord's going to destroy this earth and he's going to make a brand new one. And that brand new earth that's, that he's going to make, he's break brand new heaven. I believe he'll destroy this, all the planets up there, the stars and all that. He'll just make a brand new one. Not hard for God. He just speaks the word and there it is. And a brand new earth. Now how big is that earth? I don't know. But we have one indication of how big the earth is. Because the Bible says out of heaven is going to come that new Jerusalem, that new city. And that new city is, I've often said, about 1,500 miles wide, high, long, and high. So it's a cube. But here's what Dr. Ryrie says about it. And he was doing the calculations. And uh, he says of, of, this, of this place, let me see. Um, he says... Shaped four square like a cube. The city is 1,380 miles on each face, including height, with a wall 72 yards thick. It has both calculate, it has been calculated that even if only 25% of the space were used for dwellings, 20 billion people could be accommodated 
spaciously. Wow, what a city. 20 billion people. Are there going to be a lot of people in heaven? I believe there will. Because remember, it's from the very beginning of time that people are going to be able to trust Jesus or look to the Lord. And so all those people through all the time are going to be in heaven. I don't know how many are going to be there, but it's going to be a great number. And this huge city comes down to set on the earth. So it must be a big earth to accommodate one city that big. And it's cube. It's not only that wide, that long, but it's that high as well. Wow. Also, some things that we find out about that city in this passage is that it has 12 gates to the city. And each gate has an angel at that gate. It also has those gates have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. It also has 12 foundations. And you read in the passage that of the, the, the colors of those foundations. And all those foundations have a name on them. And the name, uh, each one has a name. It's the name of one of the apostles. And there are gates in that city. There's gates at each of those. Uh, uh, there's, there's those gates we mentioned of. Each of them are made of a pearl. One pearl and one big gate. Wow, what a pearl. <laughs> Not made by an oyster, just made by God. <laughs> and God makes that gate out, out of pearl. The walls are jasper and the gates are, are the, the streets are pure gold. What a city. What a place. There's no night there. The Lamb, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, is the light thereof. And so it's a wonderful place. And there'll be no sin. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should listen to this verse. Look at verse 27 of Revelation 21. And there shall be in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever make worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? If it's not, you won't be there. And if you think sin is funny, God says it's not funny. It's serious. Neither there will be any, any abomination or maketh a lie, anything wrong in heaven. It's going to be a wonderful place. And then chapter 22 says out of the throne is going to come a river. And this river is going to be a river of water of life. And there's going to be the tree of life. And it's going to produce 12 different fruits. <laughs> Or 12 different leaves, I think he says, and, and uh, it's for the healing of the nations. I don't understand all that. But then he says, uh, but I will someday. But then he says, there'll be no curse. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall reign forever and ever. Sounds to me like we have so much good waiting us. It, we can just put up with the little trials we have down here. And when things don't go wrong in your life, don't you dare Blame God. When things go wrong, don't you dare uh, say the Lord's not fair. The Lord is fair. Well, maybe not. The Lord is gracious. (laughs) I don't want what's fair for me. Do you? I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. And the Lord says, all this is waiting you. I'll not mention all those things again, but all that glory that's awaiting us. It's no, no wonder, the Lord says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. I want to close with an illustration. I'm sure I've used it before. But the story is told of a lady who made her an unusual request. And that is that when she died and they put her in the casket, 
they want, she wanted them to put a fork in her hand and put that fork in her hand as she had her hands over her, over her bosom. And they, and they said, why? She said, well, I want you to explain. When people come by and say, what's that fork there for? Tell them this. All my life I've gone to socials, I've gone to church socials, I've gone to special dinners, and quite often someone would come around as they were waiting on us and they would take our plate and they would say this, keep your fork, dessert's coming. And she said, I want you to tell them the fork means the best is yet to come. And friend, it is, the best is yet to come. Let's not grumble and complain. Let's trust the Lord. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of all the glory that awaits. And I'm sure there's some, Lord, that we haven't even touched on. And it's going to be so wonderful when we get to heaven. Forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for being impatient. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to love you. And the longer we live for you, make us sweeter, Lord, as the days go by. I pray that others might see Jesus in us. And if there's a soul here today that's not saved, help them to understand what they're going to miss out on if they don't trust Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name.